allows us from avoiding any texts. And I want to warn you, <clears throat> there are certain texts that are difficult for me to teach. Two specific, uh, two specific themes or subject matters. And not because I don't understand it. And not because somehow it's like intellectually above me or something like that. Or I just haven't matured to a place where I'm going to get it. But to be honest, I get, I get it well. Uh, but it is because it would appear as if I could have some form of vested interest. And to be honest, because some of these areas get abused. And this is a classic example of one of those areas. And so I don't, I don't want you to think I'm making any of this up. But I have to teach the truth. And so let me start by this very simple statement. So that because I hate the fact that I even have to feel like I have to qualify this. So I'm trying to get rid of that little ring. That was feedback and feedback and feedback. Is that better? I think so. Yeah. All right. Listen, we have never um, we've been Shoreline Calvary Chapel has existed with the original one, of course, in California for over 20 years. In the 20 years that we've had church, we have never passed a hat. No, that's not true. Well, yeah, it's true. We've never passed a hat. Once we've told people given, it's going to go towards a senior center that got robbed. The entire offering did once, that one Sunday. But we want to make you clear that I don't work on commission. The church doesn't pay my salary. I don't know if you know that. Um, actually, the, um, we're still sponsored by Foreign Soil. <laughs> to be honest, um, it costs, it's sort of disturbing, but it's, it cost us, uh, more than a year's salary for a missionary in India to sponsor us for a week. Give you an idea of the difference. And I think that's one of the reasons why there aren't a lot of missionaries in England, specifically in London, because it's really just very expensive. But can I just say you're worth it? Um, it's not my money, it's God's money anyway. But the reason I say that is when it talks about areas like giving, perhaps you've gone to a church where it seems like every Sunday is about that. Or every time you've gone, you know, they have a lovely concert that clearly costs a lot of money and then they spend a lot of time telling you how to recoup the cost. But let me say the other side of it because I want to put balance in this. People swing so far to the other side that it's almost as if they could tell God that, they, that God is everything and they love him completely in the whole bit. But he can't touch areas of their life, and one of them is their pocketbook. And what happens at a time like that is that you think you're being noble. Because you're like, you know, I'm not going to get suckered into blah, 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 blah. But God knows when disobedience is disobedience. We're, not, we're only going through half of the chapter, but read along with me if you would, please. You could tell that Paul is being defensive to the church that he's writing to. Here it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles? 
or the brothers of the Lord and Kephas, that's Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruits, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say, all together for our sakes? Oh, for our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of the hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded, not suggested, that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I know already walls might go up. But Lord, show them that this is not an issue between me and anyone. This is an issue between you and them now, and you and me. Your desire for us to be absolutely and completely given over to you. That nothing get in the way. And clearly, Lord, as Paul is writing to a carnal church that has all kinds of problems, that has, that's demonstrating all kinds of issues, and yet, and yet, Lord, <laughs> And yet, Lord, Paul wants to make sure that they know their responsibilities in you. Please, Lord, today, speak to us. May we have so much fun in your word. May we hear your word clearly. And may you speak to us to take us deeper in our walk with you. As we commit this time to you, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's writing to a... A church that is carnal. They've had some issues. They've been acting a lot like the world. And because they're acting a lot like the world, they're, gift, they're overcome with this idea of entitlement. Like they feel like they have a right to everything. And there's no humility. Everything is still me first. Everything still thinks about themselves first. And for the first six chapters, Paul addresses the issues of that, of that church. And then from chapter 7 on, he says, Now concerning... Concerning the things you wrote to me. So in other words, when Paul is addressing these issues, what Paul is doing is he's addressing questions that people have asked him starting in chapter 7. Like the issue of whether it's okay to marry, for instance. And in chapter 7, by the way, Paul does say, I wish everybody had the gift that I had, which appears that was a gift of singleness. Now, if you're single, perhaps you don't think that's quite a gift. Paul thought so. And the reason was simple because Paul was so Jesus minded. He didn't want anybody else interfering was really the idea. I mean, and let's face it, which one of you ladies would want to be married to Paul? 
I mean, you know, Paul's like, all right, honey, we're going to go on a mission trip. You ready to come with me? All right. All right. Well, and then it's like, and watch your husband beat up and chased and beat up and chased, whipped and scourged and beat up and chased. Yeah, thank you, honey. What a sweetheart I have. But aren't you thankful Paul didn't just make tents? No, he could have. He could have spent his entire life just making tents. He could have gotten saved, tried to preach Jesus, which we saw up in Damascus. He could run for his life that led him out with a basket and then go down to, to Caesarea, go down to, uh, to Jerusalem, try to preach Christ. They could try to kill him and then he could disappear to Tarshish and we could have never seen him again. And we would not have even known he existed. He would have been another guy from the Middle East that lived 2,000 years ago, but we'd never have known about. But God had bigger plans. But for those plans to be lived out, there were some things that were necessary. Now, what appears to be the case is that Paul was somehow, to be honest, hitting up this church for some form of sponsorship. Sounds kind of heavy, doesn't it? Where was Paul going to get his money? How was Paul going to travel from place to place? How was Paul going to eat? And what Paul does in this section here, to be honest, is he kind of defends himself. But please understand, it appears to me the reason why Paul is defending himself is that somebody is teaching something different. Notice a couple terms that he uses, by the way, when he says, for instance, in verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. The term examine in the Greek, by the way, is a term that simply means to criticize So there's a group of people in the church that Paul planted. I want to remind you, Corinth was a church Paul planted. And there are people that are criticizing Paul. Under what grounds? Well, please hear me. A carnal church looks for carnal things to get carnal results. That's the way it works. What is a carnal anything? That is a church or an organization or a mind that thinks governed by the things of this temporary world alone where you are first and everything else follows. That's a carnal anything. And God tells us that the carnal mind is at enmity with, with God. It is, it is God's opponent. It's God's enemy. And it tells us such a person doesn't walk in the faith of God and a person without such faith can't please God. Because that kind of mind is death, Paul tells us, by the way, in Romans. So please hear me. What would that sound like? What would a carnal church look like? A carnal church would gauge its success by carnal results. Worldly results. Well, what are worldly results? Numbers. That's a, it's an easy one, isn't it? I mean, you look and you think the church that's most successful must be the church that has the most people. If I believed that, I would hand out free beer at the door. And we would have a packed house. We'd have a lot of cleanup afterwards, but we'd have a packed house. And there are people that that's their primary motivation. I know people that are caught in certain, in in all honesty, I know people that are caught in certain um, denominations where they either get paid more bonuses or they get docked paid because of the amount of people that come to their church. What a horrible challenge. But there are other things that are carnal too. The idea, by the way, that God just wants to make you rich. <laughs> what in the world of kind of night is this? Fun, yes, it's fun. And by the way, Pizza Hut has a special. Anyway, so all of that for that? Okay, my phone's off. God does tell us that He wants to prosper us. 
But if you think that the best thing that God has to offer you is money, you're ripping yourself off. But if you're caught in the carnal world where everything is about this world and God wants to prosper you, what does that mean? That means God wants you rich or God wants you healthy. God wants you struggle free. Your life's going to get comfortable. You could become a job of the hut in Jesus. Just fat and globular because you're not moving. And that's what happens. Is when the world governs the church, the church takes the world's standards. And then you have Paul, who's beat up. His life's not very comfortable. He's fleeing for his life. His life's not very comfortable. He's ill. Something's wrong with his eyes. He's got a traveling companion that's a doctor who seems to be full-time working. He doesn't have a lot of money. And how do we know that? Because when he shows up in places, he gets to work building tents so that he doesn't charge a church that doesn't exist yet. And a carnal church... Somebody rises up in a carnal church and says, that guy probably isn't from the Lord at all. Look at him. He's struggling. He doesn't seem to have many people following him. There's not some big denomination named after him. He doesn't seem to be healthy. He's certainly not rich. And where did that guy study anyways? What degrees does he have? What religious leaders stand on him? Wasn't he a dropout? Wasn't he a defector from the school that he came from? The Jewish school he came from? Who does this guy make himself out to be? So when Paul says, hey, can I have a little support? Because I really would like to come to see you guys. I'm going to need a little help with that. They actually turn around to him and say, who do you think you are? And can you see that hurt Paul? Can you see that just get into his heart and hurt him? And they say, Paul, what's your proof that you are, that you're really doing the right thing? What's your proof? The word for seal is the word that's used of a signet ring. The kind of thing that actually validates And that's what they're asking. What validates you as an apostle? Look at the verses with me. Now, what would it be like for you? You'd gone out, you'd given your life over for however many years. In this case, it was at least you know, a year and a half. We'd given over to seeing this church that he had gone where nobody had heard of Jesus. He preaches Jesus. And as he does, people give their life to Jesus. A church is raised up. Paul heads out and he starts to check on them. These are people he loves. And then they turn on you and look and say, I don't know if you're called to be anything. I don't even know if you're a Christian kind of thing. Wouldn't you get a little bent out by that? So Paul says, am I not an apostle? And that's where we need to start. Is Paul really an apostle? Well, what does it really mean to be one? When you hear the word apostle, what do you think of? 
12 guys in robes and sandals running around speaking in a King James warble? Don't you think of guys with long hair that don't bathe much? Because if that's the case, then the question is, do we still need them? And it tells us in Ephesians that God gave us apostles and evangelists and prophets and pastors, teachers for the equipping of the body of Christ, for the edifying of the saints for ministry, till we all grow up together into unity under Jesus Christ as our head. And if that be the case, then what does God have as an idea? First of all, the word. Apostle comes from two Greek words. <clears throat> the word apo. Can you say apo? That means out. And the word stelas. And stelas means to send. The word apostle means somebody who's sent out. So, you know, from a practical sense, it is a person who's sent out. From a tactical sense, in other words, what are they accomplishing? We see a great deal, deal through Paul. And so we say, well, weren't there just 12 apostles? Well, wait a minute, that'd be a little rough because wasn't one of them Judas Iscariot? <clears throat> when we really get the idea of what apostle is, <clears throat> by the way, listen to this. This is Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. It says that Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom, by the way. It says in Luke 6.13, he called those people, for which he did, the twelve apostles. Get the idea that an apostle is sent out for the purpose first to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. An apostle is somebody practically who is called out to preach Jesus, the gospel. The question then, well, how does that make them different from an evangelist then? Since it says God gave prophets, apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, teachers. Those are two different things. And some would say, well, isn't that just a missionary? Somebody that's sent out. And I'd say it all depends. Today, you could do just about anything and call yourself a missionary. I learned that one the hard way. I've heard all kinds of people that look for support. They used to have people that were, that were saying, you know, we're going to go down. We have this special uh, event. We're going to become missionaries. What are we going to do? We're going to go down to Huntington Beach and live there. Good. What are you going to do there? We're going to get a job. Good. And then what? Then what? What do you mean? We're going to be Christians at our job. That's not being a missionary. That's called life. That's what that's called. Life. But I'm going to share Jesus. You should. Every Christian should share Jesus. The question is, what is your mission if you are a missionary? Who's sending you out to do what? You're sending me out. I'm sending you out of my office. But there were more than just those 12. Clearly they taught. Because it tells us in Acts 2.42, after the 3,000 had gotten saved, it says they continued steadfastly in four things. And the first of those was the apostles' doctrine. So the apostles were clearly teaching. It tells us in chapter 4, verse 33 of the book of Acts, that with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
They witness and testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In Acts 14, 14, we read not just of the twelve, but God says when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this. God clearly calls Paul an apostle, as he does Barnabas. But perhaps it's important to note, by the way, of all the people that are apostles, the most interesting apostle, in my opinion, comes to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, would you flip to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1? Because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. And who is that there? Christ Jesus. Did you realize that Jesus is called an apostle? Well, that's an interesting thought. So there couldn't have ever been just 12 because Jesus was there. In the simplest sense, a, an apostle is a person sent out on a mission. Practically, as we look at Paul, it appears to me that an apostle's primary tactical aspect is to go out, preach Jesus, but then see a church raised up from those that are saved. And that's what separates them from a simple evangelist. An evangelist is a deal closer. They go in, prayerfully seed has already been sown by people who preach the gospel. Prayerfully, every one of you knows the gospel well enough to share it. It's not very difficult. Listen, Jesus died for your sins according to scripture. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to scripture. And then he was seen by a lot of people. Now choose him as your Lord and Savior. Was that difficult? You say, well, that sounds so simple. Yeah, it's so simple. Even you can use it. And he calls us all to. And there will be those that are gifted, by the way. Somehow, and I, I know people that are like this. Like, you could sit there, and, and there's some people that's like, they just share, and they share, and they share, and they share, and you feel like it goes nowhere. And they're like, cough, and 15 people get saved. I don't know how that works, right? They're just like, <laughs> choose Jesus. Okay, I'll choose Jesus. I'm like, what just happened? But, you know, chances are you can't have a harvest where seed hasn't been sown. And sometimes someone's just gifted enough, or to be honest, just honest enough with people to give them a choice. And an evangelist goes out and he wants to close the deal. He wants you to make a choice. Are you going to choose Jesus? But on the other side of that, an apostle takes it a step beyond it and wants to see a church planted there where those people get saved. And you'll tell the difference right away. An evangelist, all they want to do is get me near lost people. I have some great friends that are evangelists. I mean, some of them, by the way, they're like, just get us in front of a lot of people. In some cases, it's like, you know what? You just stick them on a train. And it doesn't matter where they are, though. They'll sit next to the person next to them. Hi, how you doing? And somehow you would say that and you get slapped. They say it and the person's praying with them in 10 minutes. And praise the Lord for that. And you'd say, well, then I'm afraid I shouldn't do it. No, you just go ahead as the Lord leads you. He's just being obedient to his calling. You be obedient to yours. You well, what's your calling? Can I just say, delight yourself in the Lord. You will find yourself doing it. And Paul was sent out. If you remember back in Acts chapter 13, he was sent out for a specific mission which the Holy Spirit specifically had. The church that he had pastored sent him out. And what he did is he went out to go and preach Jesus, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, and to see churches planted. So the question then is, why would Corinth be a seal of his apostleship? The answer is in, the, in the, the, who they are. They are a church. 
that exists because God used Paul to preach the gospel to these people. So Paul, you can see Paul going, this is the craziest thing in the world. There would be like a group of people telling you you're a terrible cook, but they're using all of your recipes. So how could you say I'm not an apostle? You, by the virtue of being a church, are proof of my apostleship. Do you get it? Now, the question is, when you look at people, well, what are they? Like, who am I? I'm a pastor. Churches will be planted. But I love people. By the way, I didn't used to. Before I knew Jesus, I hated people. I would have hated all of you. I, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't like anyone. So don't worry. It was, I was equal opportunity. I hated everyone. But once I gave my life to Christ, everything changed. And I think that's one of the reasons the Lord calls me to the ministry he has me in, because it's just such a radically different person than who I used to be. So all of a sudden you sit down and, you, and all of a sudden you sit down and you, you, you've got an evangelist at the table, you've got a pastor at the table, and you've got a, an apostle at the table. And they're tactically talking about a city. And the evangelist says, we need crusades, we need to get out there and get Jesus preached to those people, Right? And the, the apostle says, yes, we need to see churches planted from those people that get saved. Right? And the pastor says, who's going to follow up with those people to make sure that they're following in the truth? Do you hear it? And that's the way it works. Which one's better? None of them. They're all awesome. Be one of them. <laughs> be whatever God calls you to be, but be it. And you know what's really cool? is once you start to recognize those things as a facilitating pastor, you just want people out there doing it. And you, so you watch somebody, they fall in love with the Lord, and all they're doing is inviting people in. And you watch another person, they fall in love with the Lord, all they're doing is sharing Jesus with people. And they're like, I just want you to know, I'd like you to meet my sister Emily. She just gave her life to Christ. I'd like you just to meet, here's my new friend, you know. And it's like, wow, how on, and just, you just love watching that. And then there are other people like, now how are we going to get those people now plugged into something that's healthy for them? Then there's a say, you know, who's, hey, do you want to go and sit down and have tea? And let's find out how we can actually make sure you're getting proper discipleship and getting loved on the way you should. I love that. But please hear me, as Paul calls out to these people, they actually ask him. And the reason is because Paul's ill, that's why. Because Paul isn't wealthy. Here's the irony, is that they should be supporting him as a church, and they're not supporting him, and yet they think there's something wrong with him because he doesn't have any money. Does that seem odd to you? That's like your boss not paying you and then telling you the reason he's not paying you is because you're poor. Am I not free? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Is not my, are you not my work in the Lord? Aren't you proof? Like, look, at, to other people, maybe I'm not an apostle. There are churches like Colossae. I've never been there. I can't tell you I'm an apostle to them, but I can tell you I'm an apostle to you guys. I've been sent out to see a church planner. Now, the question is, if real apostles are church planners, do we need apostles today? Can I just say hallelujah? Send us a million of them. Lord, raise up a million of them. Not guys that walk around in sandals and robes. It's a little cold out for that, and they don't fare well in the rain. But on the other side of it, people that really want to see churches planted. Hey, my heart, by the way, you know this, is that as this church grows numerically, and you know the Lord's going to, people are getting saved all the time. Is that as this church grows to a place where it just seems like we're getting really, really hefty, our first thing is let's go find some, let's get some of you somewhere else and let's get a church planted there so we can reach more people in that neighborhood. Because what I really want is, this isn't about me, this is never going to be about me, it's about Jesus. And Jesus wants to see this whole city saved. 
And there's some people that won't walk more than three blocks. Right, Paul? Just sitting on. Uh, you know, it's like, look at it. You know, it's like you, you want to make sure that you're in their neighborhood because everybody's looking for an excuse not to go to church. And for some people, four blocks. For some people, a 10-minute walk is too far. But let's be honest. When you fall in love, you will, you will climb to the moon if you can to get there. And that's what I'm watching with all of you. So as Paul starts to address this issue, by the way, understand he says, thoughtless for you guys, I'm, you're my seal. You are my signet. You are the thing that validates the ministry. And that tells me something. God told us we were never called to be judges. But we are called to be fruit inspectors. That's what we're called to be. Because he says you'll know them by their fruit. And if you watch a person that every time that guy or girl is inserted into things, there's confusion or people are spinning out of control with their faith or it's just dividing churches or every time this person's involved, something horrible happens. Well, then you should start watching. It's, in other words, you look behind the boat to see what the boat's about. Does that make sense? But if you watch somebody that every time they seem to come around, people are a little bit more encouraged in the Lord or they're brought closer. They fall in love with Jesus You watch them and they've gone from one place to another and the place behind them, people are in love with Christ and they weren't before, they didn't know him. You kind of keep your eye on that person. Because you can't fake real fruit. And so Paul says, look, if you really want to judge, why don't you be the fruit inspector and then look around? Because you're the fruit that you should be looking at. Which, by the way, you can see Paul going, and even that's a little concerning because you guys are carnal. So verse 3 says, my defense against those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? And then one of my favorite verses. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles, brothers of the Lord and Kephas. Or, or just Barney and I, the ones who have to just work all the time. And then he'll give us three examples. Please hear me. Obviously, this church is at a place right now where I'm not an employer. As a matter of fact, I'm not even employed by the church. It's nice to be this transparent, by the way. But as the church continues to grow as God would do, I will become an employer someday of other people. By the way, just so you know, we'll never see anybody brought in that we don't know. We won't be collecting CVs. Everybody gets raised up. We just have a fairly large pool to see people raised up from. I want to see all of you raised up into whatever God has for you. But as that point comes, let's be honest, I want to be the best employer the city's ever seen. Why? Because I love Jesus and I want them to see that Christian employers should be the coolest, the best employers. Don't you agree? And I've already said this before, and so you should know it again. When we seek to employ someone, when that point comes, and all that, by the way, and I'll explain what that means here in a moment. We don't employ a person, we employ the family. Because according to this, the idea was is that Paul is saying, you know, some of these people want to take their families along because, to be honest, the ministry is a family deal. And you think, well, this will be enough for the guy to eke along. Really? When we seek to employ people, we want to make sure that the wife doesn't have to work. So what we do in any area that we've done is we take the median income, the middle income of the area, the average income from the area. And then that's what we shoot to make for every person that's employed. No one makes more than another. That's the whole goal. But that median income is for household, not for the person. Because we want to make sure that the wife doesn't have to work unless she wants to. We can't tell her she's not. We just want to make sure that the man can provide as he's employed. And the reason is because this says that. We have a right to take along a believing wife. 
We are not into orphaning families because somebody's called to the ministry. As a matter of fact, what we used to do was every quarter we required every man that was married in our fellowship to spend a night with his wife somewhere else. We actually paid for it. Once a year, we required for them to take their whole family out somewhere and be gone. Just be gone. They would go to Yosemite or wherever the place would be. And we would sponsor as much as we could of it because we want to make sure that the church, so that the family knows that the church sponsors them. Because let's face it. The church is going to be a lot more blessed by a pastor's family with the pastor than just trying to have a happy pastor. And in that, the whole goal is we wanted people to know. Now, please, here's the cool thing. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to recognize that you're my accountability to that. When the Lord brings us to that point, if he chooses to tarry, let's make sure that that happens. But none of that happens without sponsorship, Right? And Paul says, where do you think Paul eats from? Where do you think a pastor eats from? People have to pay for it. Now, here's the cool thing. Again, remember, we're not passing a hat here. See how I have to feel like I have to apologize already? That's almost like it'd be better if I actually did this to anyone else's church but the one that I get to be pastor of. Does that make sense? Because if it was anyone else's church, I'd just be at it and I wouldn't apologize at all. Because it's the word of God and deal with it. You got a problem? Take it up with the author. But truth be told, it's like, look at all, every, you know that. But let me look at it from the other perspective. Is that God loves the family and people have the opportunity to invest. Everything you do is an investment in something. You aware of that? And in the end of it all, you're going to stand before God with eternal rewards or not because of what you've invested. Your time, your resources, your talents. Every bit of it will be things that God said you had two options with it. To sow it into something eternal or to sow it into something temporary. And let's be honest, even, people, even words like sowing have been manipulated, right? And that's why you almost feel like you have to clarify everything. You know, people are like, oh, you just sow. And they'll look at, listen, 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 listen. When it comes to employing somebody, what you want to do to facilitate means that somebody's doing something already and they're doing it in such a way that you figure if what you're doing by sponsoring them is it giving them more time, assuming that if they had more time, they would just do that more. Does that make sense? So somebody's evangelizing, but the problem is, is that they're not allowed to do it at work. So every coffee break they get, every time they're at lunch, they're sharing Jesus or whatever. And they're like, I just wish I had more time to share. And you're like, well, that's awesome. And you sponsor an individual like that because you just convinced that if you pulled them out of what they were doing, they would have more time to do what they love doing, which is sharing Jesus. Does that make sense? But when someone comes on the other side of it and says, I believe I'm called to evangelize, you know, Ghana. Or I believe I'm called to evangelize Botswana. And you go, awesome. Are you evangelizing now? No. And you go, oh, do you think there's like a magic Botswana button? You got to click it. No, now you're an evangelist. The bottom line is when you love the Lord, you find yourself doing what you're called to. And then people get behind it because they're like, wow, look at what that person's doing. Look at the fruit. Sponsoring that should happen more then. That's the idea. Does that make sense? And that's the, that's the hard part. Because in the world we're at, we just kind of figure it's like, employ me, and then maybe I'll discover if I can do anything. That's a dangerous world to be in as a Christian. And then we look at this. It's like, don't I have a right to take along a believing wife? Don't I have, to, don't I have a right to make sure my family's taken care of? Well, that's a pretty heavy scene to look at. Now, please understand, I didn't pick this subject because I thought you were coming tonight. That's just where we're at in text. You showed up. You, if you had read ahead, you'd have known it was coming. 
But I can't apologize for what the word says. So let's look at it from the other perspective. If when Andrew first met Deborah, and I don't think any of us really knew Andrew at the time when he first met Deborah. But if Andrew were to tell us, maybe some of you did, I don't know. And, and if Andrew was like, ah, you know, I'm not really that you know, excited about her. But everything he did was talk about her. And then everywhere he went, he bought something for her. It was flowers. It was a card. It was sending texts. His actions would betray him, wouldn't it? And it would cause us to whisper, hey, Hugo, check out Andrew. He doesn't like her, right? What were those flowers for? That girl he doesn't like, right? We would know better. Does that make sense? But doesn't that work on the flip side, too? If Jeffrey said he was really in love with this girl, this, you know, Scottish, you know, pole thrower, Agnes. He said, no, I love her. I'm going to marry her. But we never heard him talk about her. He never spent any time with her. He's like, when was the last time you like you, you called her? Oh, I don't know. I think I have her number in here somewhere. Really? Hugh and I would have a different conversation. Check out Mr. In Love with Agnes. And we would know better, wouldn't we? And you tell people you love Jesus. I tell people I love Jesus. What are they seeing? I'm like, hey, you know what? I love my wife, but she can't get near my wallet. You know, I've learned that when a guy's really in love, somehow that, you know, it's like before he gets, he's, he falls in love, his like wallet's glued to his hip. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't know where it is, it's whatever. And I'm looking, I'm only saying that because it's one of the things you see. Because he does weird things, like he spends 15 pounds to go see a movie he would not be seen dead in before he was, you know. Like something written by some girl 300 years ago. And you can tell, and if you've ever been to one of those movies, I've been to them all. Um, Have you ever been to one of those movies? As a guy sits down, you know what you do. You look around for support, right? And every other guy in the room is doing the same thing. They all look around like, oh man, you're here too. See you at the support group later, you know. Except like the one guy that's there by himself and we all kind of look over and go, I don't even want to think about it. I don't know why he's there. You know. But you realize it's like, hey, you know, you know that costs money and, you know. I've learned this. For whatever reason, women don't wind up like normally picking movies that are in 3D. I don't know. It's like Jane Austen doesn't like write stuff in 3D, I guess, or whatever. And the only reason I say that is, is because their whole life changes. And then you come in this place and we tell Jesus he has everything. And the Lord says, well, then how about this? And you say, no, 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 no. I meant everything, but I didn't mean that. You're in a bad relationship and you know that you'll never prosper in me as long as you're in this relationship. Well, no, I'm going to make it different. I just told you to leave. And I'm God. I know everything. And you're like, God, is it really you? Maybe Satan's telling me to break up with this person I keep having sex with. Really? Do you think God's buying that? Well, God, I love you. You can have everything. And God's like, look, I want you to go and sponsor that missionary right now over there. That person in Africa or India or wherever it is. And they're like, no way. The new iPhone 6 is coming out soon. That's important. I need that for my business. God's like, you really believe that? I know better. 
I have a problem with pornography. So put a filter on your computer. I can't. It slows down my computer from three seconds to four seconds. How busy are you? Could you imagine it's like, hey, this bag of of microwave popcorn has food poisoning and you can cook it for 44 seconds. This one doesn't have food poisoning. You cook it for 46 seconds. Wait the two seconds and live. But my friends, they're my friends. And we go clubbing and I fall and I'm drunk and I'm always regretting the next day. You know, when somebody tells you stuff like that, is there a part of you ever goes, do you even hear yourself? Because you appear to be a bright person, but this is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard from you. I'm in a relationship. He beats me up every time I'm near him. He doesn't love Jesus. He says he hates God. But, you know, but I, I just I think he's going to change someday. What should I do? Get out. But don't give me a but. Just get out for your own sake. See, listen, it isn't that everything you, that you have to give up everything to follow the Lord. It's you have to be willing to give up everything to follow the Lord. Everything should be his. And if you're going to fight him over anything, anything you fight God over is an idol. And can I just say, your bank book can be an idol. Your personality can be an idol. Your identification can be an idol. Your rep could be an idol. Your dreams can be an idol. Your house, your car, your stuff, idol, idol, idol. If anything, God says, you need to get your hands off of that. And you say, can I actually give you counsel on how, God, you need to do this? It's still an idol. Well, what if it's something good? What if God says, take your hands off your family. They're my family. What does that mean, Lord? You're going to kill them? I was like, no, actually, what do you think? My plans are to kill everything good in your life? What kind of relationship do we have? But I realized my children belong to Jesus first. So I'm not there to try to get them to like me. I'm there to serve them, to raise them in the ways of the Lord. I love them. and God. But you know what? The love I have for them, God gave me that love. You know what? The closer I get to the Lord, the better dad I become. No matter how many classes I want to take on how to be a good dad or whatever, they're not going to do anything compared to crawling into the lap of the Lord. Because I don't have the power to be anything good without Him. So please hear me in this. There was a man that turned to Jesus and said, Hey, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get it? And Jesus says, Well, how are you doing on the commandments? This is a loose paraphrase. And He says, You know what? I'm doing pretty good. As far as I can tell, I don't think I've broken any. Jesus says, well, all right. But if you really want to be complete, take this to the full end. Perfect's the word he uses, talaos. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. He did not say, sell everything you have, give it to me, and follow me. Because the issue wasn't where the money went, per se. The issue was what that stuff was doing for him. Now, notice he didn't say that to everyone. I mean, the irony is if you sold everything you had, you'd think, well, then I'm poor. Well, you had all that money, so you're not poor. 
The idea is, Jesus says, no, understand, Jesus didn't just say, well, sell everything you have and you'll be perfect. That's not what he said. He said, look, you realize at this particular moment, because you really want to be right, you can choose to follow one thing or the other. You could choose to follow your finances. You can choose to follow your business plans. And your business plans, by the way, they're obviously prospering from a secular perspective. You've got a lot of stuff, buddy. You've got a lot of stuff. And you can continue in that, and it'll continue to grow. It'll continue to prosper. But someday you're going to die, and it'll all be gone. Or you can follow me right now. So you have a choice. And understand, with every one of us, he's like, look at is there anything that you won't let go of? To f- that, that not letting go of that thing is keeping you from following the Lord like he's called you to. Because you realize that's the point here. Do you remember what the fishermen? It tells us, by the way, that the John and James, by the way, left their dad. Peter left his boat. But in the Gospel of Luke, it says that they all left everything to follow him. And to leave, by the way, does not mean... That you put it aside and wait for God to tell you when you can pick it back up. Although clearly Peter will try that, won't he? But what's beautiful is when the Holy Spirit finally comes upon Peter in Acts 2, I don't see him in a boat from that point on. How about you? Boats are done. Now please hear me. Let's look at it from a different perspective and we'll get to the rest of this text. You have the opportunity to invest. Now, your time, your resources, your efforts, your talents. And you can be wise about it. You can buy your ticket to the Titanic. And you can be a star on that Titanic. But like it or not, it always ends. No matter how many times you watch it, it always ends the same way. They die. It's like, no matter how many times you watch Hamlet, they are going to die. But you can also invest in things, and one day you're going to stand before God. And here's the crazy part. The payoff is magnificent. Because you gave three pounds to somebody that was going to India. But they weren't just going to India so that they could pretend like they were in a Bollywood film and say, coincidentally, Jesus was part of that. They went to bring Jesus. And you know what? You found a family that was trying to serve the Lord somewhere, but things were a little rough. But you had a talent that could benefit them. You had, you were gifted at food, baking a pie. And if the moment you say, it's just a, do you realize just a, is greater than nothing. In my office, I have a little treasure box. It really looks like a little treasure box. When you open it up, I have every biblical coin that's in there. The drachmas, the temple tax. It doesn't matter, whatever it is, you know. It's like, and by the way, but, but interesting, there are a couple things in there. They're literally the size of one of my buttons. And they're the only people that find them actually in any way valuable are Christians because they're minus. And if you're familiar with the minus, because a woman put two of those things, two copper coins the size of my button. Imagine how much that was worth. But Jesus took special note of it. But in that same little box, 
is a letter. It says, Sorry, Dad, there are no remotes to life. I love you, Shantae. Because there was a moment where I sat with her, and it was so beautiful, I wish I could just put it on pause or slow motion. I said, I wish life had remotes. And she wrote that to remind me. I have another little letter in there. This is, Dad, I love you so, 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 and I think there are 148 so's. So, 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 much. Ruthie, in case I didn't know who it was that wrote it. That's my other daughter. Now, if I were to take those two particular things and analyze them from the perspective of their composition, or to bring them to the Metropolitan or to the Louvre, I don't think that they would actually think that they were fantastic. Maybe they would, I don't know. Whether they would think they were fantastic art. Although, we could go through their hallways and find a couple pieces we'd wonder about ourselves, I'm sure. But to me, they're the greatest masterpieces I possess. Because of the heart that wrote them. Does that make sense? And do you really think for a moment God is busier critiquing your execution more than evaluating your intent? And you tell God, I love you. And God says, but you won't do anything. You know what? If you love someone, you do silly things and you don't even care. And you're not even concerned most of the time about whether it's done perfectly. You just want to do something. You'll crawl out of your skin if you can't do something. And with me missing my family and being gone a week now, I have a lot of time to think about that. Because it's the little things that you don't that seem so insignificant. It's the times we call huggle, where you're kind of snuggling and hugging at the same time, and you're just doing nothing but breathing and arms around each other that mean, that mean the most. And to be honest, this last week, I think I've huggled with God every night. It's been amazing. And you can't, nothing compares to that. So I wonder what's in God's treasure box. And he opens it up and he says, surely. What do you think's in there? What's interesting is I bet we could probably give some examples more than Shirley might be able to. Or going, Marcia. I saw the way she set up that tea table that you may never know. Someone has to set it up, right? She did it because she loved Jesus. So last thing, and we'll conclude, we'll walk through this pretty quick. You, you give Everything you give comes out of one of two places, so please hear me. You either give to or you give out of. Giving to is the dangerous. I give to get a friend. I give to win an opinion. I give to be liked. When somebody says, you need to sow your seed. Interesting, scripturally, seed is supposed to be the word of God. I don't know when that turned into money. But if you just sow your seed, it'll come back 30, 60, or even 100 fold. Sow your seed. You're not giving out of anything. You're giving to get more. It's like gambling, only it seems like it's a sure bet. Do you think that blesses God? 
I learned that early because before I, we planted our church in Central California, we were actually up in Chico, where my brother is my pastor, by the way, and my older brother. And we heard this guy on the radio and he's like, you know, we're, we're, you know, you just so, and you don't even think of the 30 or 60 fold. You'll get a hundred fold. You just, you just trust God. You just so in faith. You just mail your check in in faith and you'll just get a hundred fold back. The next week he was on the air and he's like, we're going off the air. We can't pay our bills. And my brother said, you know, if he really believed that seed faith thing, he'd mail us checks. He'd get a hundred fold back and he'd be able to pay his bills. That's the sad part. Anything you give to, I don't know how much of there's a blessing involved in it, but on the other side, when you give out of, you give out of love, everything changes. Because you're not, the only thing you want out of that is to see someone smile. You want to be able to see someone blessed. And when you give out of that, you're not keeping score. What you're doing in somebody else isn't, or how you did it more or better than someone else. You do it just because you love to, because out of the abundance of the love you have, you do this. Does that make sense? And you have the opportunity to do that for the rest of your life, beloved. And one day, like it or not, you're going to stand before the Lord. And it isn't like he's going to, I don't think he's going to spend all his time telling you all the things you could have done. But I think for a moment, maybe you'll know. But right now, you have that choice. to Say, where am I going to spend my time? Hey, you know what? In another year and a half, my daughter's going to turn 18. And I'll never have her again the way I will right now. I can't go back and relive that. And now I have that option. What am I going to do for the next year and a half? And I just look at you guys and I think, I want to look back every year that we spend together, which I'm intending for the rest of my life. I hope you know that. And I don't intend on dying anytime soon. And I'm going to look back at every year without regret. So look at the three examples Paul gives us. This is what he says. He says, verse 7, Who goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Here are the three things. If you're on well, where do I invest my time, my life, my efforts, my resources, or whatever? Can I say, here's the three things. One is, you're sponsoring soldiers. Isn't that what the first one says? What's a soldier? A soldier is a ground gainer. Does that make sense? People that are out there to take more land. Now, we're not talking about somebody that's killing people to get their land, literally. We're talking about somebody that's trying to get Jesus into a place where Jesus isn't. The standard of Christ. So who's out there trying to plunk holes in the darkness, getting to places where it almost seems strange that a Christian's there at all, trying to get Jesus into those people? Get behind someone like that if you see fruit there. The second, you're fortifying a farmer, right? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't need to What's a farmer? They're a seed sower. They're somebody that's planting the word of God and seeing fruit from it. They're watching. They're investing in people's lives and they're watching fruit come out of it. You see anyone like that? Get behind that. Because here's the crazy part. When you stand before God, both of you, the person who's doing it and yourself, get to, be, get to reap the benefit of it. If you stand behind an evangelist and that evangelist sees a thousand people saved, God accrues it to both of your accounts. Do you get it? Do you realize right now that there are people, think about this. This is what occurred to me. I'm laying awake last night. There are a batch of people right now, roughly about 30 people, maybe 35, that sponsor us in America. And do you realize that one day they're going to stand before God? You know what God's going to show them? He's going to show them you. 
Is that a crazy thought? Because of what they're doing, I get to do this. And I'm so thankful Paul didn't make tents for the rest of his life. No. The third of them, who tends to the flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? The third then is supporting shepherds. Somebody who's clearly then loving on the lambs. You know, somebody that's really investing in the sheep? Get behind that. And can I just say, and this is the easiest time to say that, if you, and look at, I, I'm, you've got to know this, I'm not manipulating in any way, but if you're like, you know, I just want to bless the pastor, then bless my family, if that makes sense. Go love on my kids. Go do something with my wife. Go bless her some way. And I'll be honest, because they're often overlooked. Now, I'm not saying that because of the way, like, I just know that from pastors in general. And it's like, you know what's so cool? Is that you guys do that. Can I just say, what you're doing, you're doing well. Keep it up. My family feels so loved. My kids don't feel orphaned. They're very clear to tell me this. And they're so thankful for this fellowship. I mean, they're going back to a place where it's been sunny and 35 the entire time they've been there. And they can't wait to get back. And it isn't because they miss rain. It isn't because they want to go to a wimpy's. The one thing they want to come back here for is you. Because as far as they're concerned, London means you. And that blesses me. Now listen. Paul says, do we have any biblical precedent? Because you don't just say this stuff. The biblical precedent, by the way, he pulls out is from Deuteronomy 25.4. And the idea is simple. You take care of that which is doing the work. That just makes sense. It tells us in Galatians 6.6, 6, let him who is taught share in all, listen, share in all good things with him who teaches. It says, take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as he lives in your land. That went all the way back from Deuteronomy 12.19. You know why? And this is how it closes. Because you want them plowing in hope. Notice what it says in verse 10. He who plows should plow in hope. He who threshes, threshes should be a partaker of that hope. And by the way, I want you doing the same. I want you in a place where everything you set your hands to, you have great hope. By the way, I hope you know this. I am horribly, terribly, stubbornly, tenaciously optimistic because my God's a huge God and nothing can defeat him. Like how many people do I think a God is going to affect in London? Uh, every one of them. Is that grandiose? Yeah. But my God oversees every one of them. He knows every breath they have. How big is that for him? How much of it am I going to be involved in? I don't know, but I'm happy to be involved in it at all. And I say, let's, let's hike it up. Let's have some fun. So the biblical precedent is there. Leviticus 6.16 tells us in regards to the doctrinal aspect of it for the, the biblical precedent. And he tells us at the end of it this statement. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And that's how this ends. Notice it doesn't say the Lord has suggested he's commanded it. Can I just tell you, I'm so thankful I get to do this. I thank the Lord every day that I get to be your pastor. I really do. You don't even have to ask me. You can ask my kids. You can, it's like, thank you, Lord, for another day to serve you. Thank you for the fellowship we get to serve in. But in the end of it all, this isn't about me. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's about you. And there are some of you here, if not many of you here, the Lord's going to call into ministries. Some, perhaps, apostleship where he will call you to go and you'll just have a passion for a place and you'll want to see church planted there. And you'll be concerned about the work. And when I sit and talk with you, all you want to talk about is how God is doing cool things in the work. 
And for that, I would say hallelujah. Fall in love with Jesus and watch what he does in you. For some of you, he'll raise up pastors. And when I start to talk to you and I say, tell me about everything, you'll be, you know, we call it fishing for sparks. And all of a sudden, like, tell me about the people. And then you're like, oh, let me tell you about the people. Now, the good news is I don't share your names when I tell people. But when people are like, tell me about the work, the first thing I can't wait to say, let me tell you about this guy that he was selling crack and where he's at now. And this particular individual over here used to be a prostitute. And now you should see what she's doing now. And this person, that person. I love, I love bragging about God. So thank you for giving me the ammunition and the library of beautiful events to be able to tell people. I'm like, I just can't stop bragging about what God's doing because I'm walking through a living museum and you are the masterpieces that the Lord is making among us. And there will be pastors from you raised up. There will be evangelists. And those are the people that they can't go to Disneyland and go into, it's a small world, because they start crying and say, it's not a small world, people are going to hell. I mean, that's an evangelist. And for those people, by the way, what should they do? Let's face it. If, if that is who God is calling you to be, my heart and prayer is that God will put us in a place ultimately where we will have the finances to sponsor you, to get you out of here. If you're out there sharing Jesus with people, you know what you need is more time to do that then. Then I want to help somehow so we can get you out there to get more time. Does that make sense? The guy that we sent to Africa, Lake Victoria, Kisumu, was it evident that he was called there? Was it evident his heart was there? He taught every time he opened up his... I mean, this was a kid when he was like eight. He was like, let's do something fun with his friends. Let's have a Bible study. That was what he did back then. Now, how do you know he was called to Africa? How do you know his heart was there? That's like every time he talked, he was about it. He was in love with it. As a matter of fact, his first daughter's name is Kenya. Does that give you any clue? And you look and you're like, wow, that guy's bought and sold. So when you say, go, go and serve those people, you're joyful, even though you, 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 you don't get to have that same fellowship you did, but you, you're, you're joyful because they're doing what God's called them to. And could there be a greater joy than that? You know, this is what Jesus did. If you were to talk to Jesus, he wouldn't shut up about you. Doesn't it say that his thoughts for you individually outnumber the sand on the shore? At least that's what David understood about himself in Psalm 139. God would be the greatest stalker there ever was if he wasn't so awesome. He's so torn up about you that he would die on the cross just so that he could be with you because he'd rather die than live without you. Rise again to be your Lord. And if Jesus is to be our Lord, and we don't want him to say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Look, at, I'm not telling you that you have to do grave and crazy things and then prove it to God because you're not doing anything too. I'm saying, be so in love with God that you're available that no matter what he says, you say yes. And you're like, well, what if I don't hear him say anything? Well, then hold your course until he does. He knows how to communicate to you. Does that make sense? Because you know what? I could go to sleep every night because I know it's like, Lord, I just know that that... that that, look, I haven't done a million things, but I'm, I'm here and I know that, Lord, when you want to speak to me, I'm ready to, I'm ready to say yes. And you know what? The Lord says, well, let's prove it. And then he'll say something. I'm like, ah, oh, yes. And then off we go. And what if we were all just yes people for the Lord tonight? Because I love his promises are yes and amen. Are you a yes person to him? 
Could you imagine what this church would look like if we were just people that when the Lord says, Hey, Lauren. Hey, Paul. I'm on. Lamar. You say, yes. I have something for you. And our answer is not, what? But, yes, Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Do you realize already you wound up in his treasure box right there? That statement alone? If it's honest. As we pray tonight, beloved, I just want to pray tonight for you and for me. I don't ever want good to be good enough. I want it to be that my lifestyle, that I'm addicted to saying yes to Jesus. And with that, I want to invest in anything I can put my hands and heart, life, money, or whatever into that I know the Lord's behind because I just want to see Him blessed, His people saved, us grow up and be the people He's called us to be. Even as we sing, may I be all that You saved me to be. Well, Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this beautiful word. And and, and Lord, certainly it's heavy. And there are challenges all over it. But Lord, I pray right now that you would genuinely, wholeheartedly, totally get a hold of us tonight. And Lord, if we're holding out on you, but telling you somehow that you you have our everything and, and you know better and we don't, want to be, we don't want to make a mockery of our love for you. We don't want to make a mockery of our relationship. So God, I just pray right now specifically, Lord. I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters in here. Lord, that we would not be like that merchant that walked away sad instead of following you. Because of Lord, if something is keeping us from following you, then cut it, Lord. And I've learned this, Lord, that there will be some things that we can hand off completely that were idols that you can totally bring back to us later. They're just no longer idols. And there's some things, Lord, that will never reconcile to our life. But, Lord, if you are to be the Lord of our life, then we want to give you the option to remove everything that you want to remove, that nothing would keep us from following you. So, Lord, I just pray tonight Lord, our past, our present, our future, anything, if there's anything in there. We think we have a right to be a jerk. We feel like we have a right to be whatever we want to be because of our past. Show us that the old man was crucified, even as we sang. The moment we said yes to you, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Lord, if... There be things that have grown in, Lord, just like the weeds that grow up and choke the life from the seed, Lord, so it doesn't bear forth fruit. If there are weeds, go weeding in our garden, Lord. The cares and the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, go weeding in our gardens, Lord, so that we could grow, your word could grow, and in doing so, Lord, you would bear forth great fruit. Because, Lord, the 30, 60, and 100-fold we really want isn't money. It's people. We want to watch you, Lord, save London. We want to watch you, Lord, save England. 
We want to watch you, Lord, save this world. And Lord, I don't know where we're going to be a year from now in the standpoint that there may be those in here that you may send to all kinds of places, even Botswana, wherever it is. Even Manchester or Liverpool or wherever. We're just out of our block. One thing's for sure. People need you. And you want us to be a part of that solution. So, Lord, whatever it is, I just pray that you would give us a hunger, Lord, out of love for you to live a life that's in your treasure box. That every day fills your treasure box. That every thought fills your treasure box. That every renegotiation in our heart and mind fills your treasure box. Lord, that the words we speak, that the life we live, where we spend our money, where we spend our time, fits in your treasure box. Because, Lord, tithing a 10% to the church but spending 90% on our vices does not please you. But if you were to have all of our money, Lord, I recognize that you would use some to pay bills. You would use some to bless others. You would use some to sponsor soldiers, support shepherds, to fortify farmers. You would use some, Lord, just to do crazy things with that, just show that that it doesn't own us. You've not told us, Lord, that the love of money, or that money is the root of evil, but loving it is the root of all kinds of evil. We want to love you because we can't serve two masters. And we don't want to pretend like you're our master if something else is, but Lord, demaster us from anything else that you would be our master wholeheartedly. I guarantee you, I'm sure of this, Lord, we would not be spending our money, Lord, on crack or on alcohol to get wasted. We would not be spending it on pornography. We would not be spending it on things that hurt others or ourselves, destroy families or people, lives. We wouldn't spend our time in ways that hurt other people, divide Christians, but rather restore the lost, or restore the fallen, I should say. Bring in the lost. Strengthen the weak. Edify brothers and sisters. Our talents wouldn't be used to propel us to the front of a line. Lord, I'm sure that our talents wouldn't be used in such a way so that people could see that we're awesome, but rather, Lord, they could be used in ways so that people could see that you're awesome. So that the world would call on you because of the, as the awesome, wonderful God, because of the awesome, wonderful things you do through us. So, Lord, we recognize this is a lot more than about money. Because we're to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. Everything else will fall into line if we do that. So, Lord, give us that type of love. That type of love, Lord, so that everything else, that nothing is fought over. Everything belongs to you. If you have our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, if that be the case, then clearly there should be nothing we would argue with you over. No idols, Lord. So I pray, Lord, you pull us out of idol and you remove every idol from our life to do so. That the only thing that would be is us and you the way you are intend. 
Jesus, we confess you as dying on the cross for our sins, raising again on the third day. And Lord, with that, make that message quick on our tongues to others, that you died for our sins according to Scripture. We're buried, and on the third day you rose again just like Scripture promised. As you were seen by a lot of witnesses, now we have the opportunity to testify of the risen Jesus by how you're alive in us. So with that, we just say, Lord, radiate through us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray right now, if there's anyone here who has not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, as the gospel's gone forth and there's a choice to be made, hey, in this room, as we close this up, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, if you're not even sure that what that is, that was that message, that Jesus died for your sins, according to Scripture, was buried and rose again on the third day, and now demands to be your Lord and Savior. And if you're willing to accept them as the Savior for your sins, for your penalties, and also the Lord of your life, then he's willing to save you and make you a brand new creation right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. I ask you to listen at the end. If you agree, I ask you to give a simple, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let these words be my words. Let this prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I confess to you, I'm a sinner. You already know that. But you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And as he died on the cross, my penalty was paid in full. He was buried just like you promised he would be and rose again just like you promised in Scripture. And as he rose again, he deserves to be my Lord, the ruler of my life. And so I hand my life over and say, have me now. Make me yours. I surrender to you. Save me, I pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.